So this week, I am sharing a really exciting announcement. And if you're listening live this week, I'm also bringing back one part of my three-part series on how to unlock the power of ChatGPT. And I'm doing both of these things because I just launched a new ChatGPT resource for nonprofits that I am so, so excited about. It's the nonprofit ChatGPT headquarters. So for those of you who are longtime listeners, you have heard me talk about ChatGPT before. I am really bought into this tool. It is not some fancy, super techie tool that needs to be built out and figured out. It should be as integrated into your workflow and as simple as Google Docs. It's a capacity builder and a time saver. And my goal is to make it easy for organizations, particularly small and growing organizations where time and money and capacity are really an issue to tap into the power of ChatGPT. If you aren't, you're leaving capacity on the table and I want to help you solve that problem. So I took the questions and the conversations that I've been having with nonprofits for the last really six or seven months and turned it into a concrete tool, which is one of my favorite things to do. The nonprofit ChatGPT headquarters is an all-in-one workspace that supports you at every phase of using ChatGPT in your workflow, from giving you ideas to giving you prompts that you can cut and paste right into ChatGPT, to giving you an already built out place to save and organize the prompts that you like, the personalities that you try, and all of the work that you do using ChatGPT. So, If you are still on the fence about ChatGPT, listen to this week's episode. If you're listening to a different episode and hearing this preview, head on over to this week's episode and get inspired. And when you're ready to take the next step and start saving you and your team hours of time and brain energy every week, you can head to brookrichiebabbage.com backslash ChatGPT dash HQ and grab the workspace. Enjoy. Hi, thanks so much for tuning into the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. Every week, I do a deep dive into the strategies and mindset behind launching, scaling, and leading a high-impact, world-changing nonprofit. I'm your host, Brooke Ritchie Babbage, and you're listening to episode number 25. I always love the experience of talking with someone when they say something and I have the thought, how did you know exactly what was in my head? That happened so often in my conversations with today's guest, Rachel Mills. Rachel is the founder and CEO of Harmony Consulting, and she's been on a mission since she was 16 years old to help others help others. I have to say it's a personal and professional mission that really, really resonates with me. And I enjoyed talking with her about how she actualizes that through her work. For over a decade now, Rachel has been working with and creating award-winning campaigns for world-changing nonprofits like Big Brothers Big Sisters and the United Way. She's helped them harmonize their fundraising and marketing strategies to create content that really propels their missions forward. And that's what I wanted to talk with Rachel about. I was really excited to talk with her about the nuts and bolts of content strategy for small and emerging organizations. 
why it's so important, how to think expansively about the kinds of content your organization can create, about the relationship between content and thought leadership and fundraising. I wanted to talk about the big picture and the strategy. And we definitely talked about all of that. Rachel is a master at blending the why with the how. Actionable tips that are grounded in solid context about the reason any of this even matters. But one reason I love these podcast conversations and my conversations with Rachel is that there are multiple layers to most things that we do in the social impact world. And what we actually wound up talking about was a much deeper conversation about the underlying mindset shifts that come before a leader can really begin thinking about content strategy. We had a really wonderful generative discussion about how everything that we do with nonprofits at its core is about relationships and about the power of storytelling to build and strengthen meaningful relationships with the people with whom we're working to create real change in the world. This is a great episode and I hope you enjoy. Hi, Rachel, how are you? Hi, I'm doing great. I am very excited to be having this conversation with you. I'm so happy that I happened upon you (laughs) online. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Um, So I wanted to talk with you today about the what and the how of content and content strategy, particularly for small and emerging nonprofits and sort of what is it, why does it matter, all of the things that that you work on. Um, So I'd love to start with you. Tell us a little bit about what you do and why you do this. All kinds of missions, seeing Mm -hmm. lives change, seeing the world change for good. Um, it never gets old. And I think that's why we all stay with it. Right. That's right. It's like we talked about last time. Yep. (laughs) It can be so hard, but, um, that part never gets old. Um, and it, of course it's absolutely humbling, um, to get to help those people on the front lines of programming that are fueling the world for good. Um, and I love this question because I've never been asked it before. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not, I mean, I get asked a lot, like why nonprofits, why do you stay? It's so hard, but no one's ever asked, well, why content? Why does that matter to nonprofits? And it's a great question. Um, (laughs) supporters, right. It's more than just publishing content for the sake of, uh, keeping people up to date or making the next ask. It's about cultivating stories and connections that are so powerful that hopefully it rallies a community of supporters that sustain this life-changing mission. Okay. And it's important, strategic and nuanced work. Yeah. Content marketing is in the nonprofit sector, but it really doesn't get half as much attention as it should and does in really every other industry. Well, it's interesting, I think, um, and I'll, I want to dive into this, like really dive into it, in, yeah. in, but I feel like nonprofits, and I remember when I was running mine and, and you, and I talked a little bit about this, I saw content initially is like, do I have a newsletter? Do I have a social media account? Um, you know, am I sending messages to my donors? Like it was very tactical, right? And so I could check the boxes and I didn't always feel like I was getting traction because as I've sort of learned more about what you do, that's not actually the thing, right? The tactics yeah. should be in service of a way of communicating and engaging with your listeners um, yeah. and your supporters. So for you, and you've worked in so with and in so many different nonprofits, did you 
have an aha moment that sort of set the stage for you to do this work now? Or did you gradually come to understand what you were explaining about the sort of power and importance of content? Yeah, probably a little bit of both and, but I do have a very specific memory that probably a lot of people listening can relate to if they're in the trenches. Um, so in my early years, in I was working in fund development for a small nonprofit in Austin, Texas. It was called Side by Side Kids. And like so many other fundraisers of small nonprofits, I was expected to wear all the hats. So oh, yeah. on top of doing all the fundraising, of course, it goes without conversation. I'm also doing all the marketing. So um, I'm meeting with individuals and board members, writing grants, running events, launching capital campaigns, leading all of the things, <laughs> plus, plus producing appeals, overseeing videography, photography, graphic design, social media, newsletter, you know, all the things oh, that marketing, that... right? Yeah. Um, and a lot of times um, executive leaders or people who have been in the industry a really long time with that old school mentality thing, like, and, and just a little marketing, but it's like, that's right. What? That's a whole other job. So, and what uh, you're describing, I mean, just there are entire graphic design firms right? to do the design piece, much right. less the strategy and the copywriting right. and, you know, right. And I'm already like, like I said, I'm early in my year. So I'm already battling imposter syndrome, feeling yeah. like, how am I leading a fund development team, let alone somehow doing marketing at the same time? Um, and so as I'm knee deep in the trenches, um, it was my first year end giving season, which is just, it's God. like, I had this classic moment that I think a lot of us have where let's be honest. I'm in like absolute brink of burnout. Absolute. Like I'm set my wits on. And I remember hitting a mental wall during one of our team meetings for year end, where I was asked to sort of like compartmentalize fundraising and marketing as separate initiatives, but be held responsible for both. Oh my um, sort of like reporting on them separately. Right. So can we go over fundraising and then marketing as like a, and year end in general, but you want and them to feed off of one another and build. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's when it hit me. I remember leaving, um, I don't even really know why, but I remember leaving that meeting thinking to myself, okay, fundraising and marketing really shouldn't feel like solo performances. Why do they right now? And why is that being normalized? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, uh -huh. um, <laughs> yeah, right. And so it just led me to start to be on this path um, the last, you know, several years of kind of breaking that down. Well, how are fundraising and marketing functions different. Um, well, they should be stemming from the same goal laid out in the overall strategic plan. Mm -hmm. And if our fundraising and marketing strategies aren't aligned with that overall strategic direction, then it's just going to sound like clanging symbols or noise, yeah. not only to the person who's trying to orchestrate it, but especially to supporters. Yeah. And that's why a lot of things don't stick or don't get engagement because yeah. they're not falling within the bigger picture. They're just kind of being thrown at the wall. And we're asking people who are throwing it at the wall to do it with less time and less resource than humanly possible. There is this quote, I, I just found it, um, and it just reminds me of what you're saying. I love this quote. Tactics without strategy is the noise before the defeat. Yes and amen. Yeah, like that's what I hear you describing. And I think so many small nonprofits, because everyone wears all the hats, and quite frankly, you know, in my own experience, I didn't really know what marketing was. And it felt yeah. like I can do that. I have Canva, right? Like, right, right. <laughs> right I use email. social media. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I use it. So it feels like 
you can sit down and just map out a bunch of tactics. You can just say, do these eight things. And what I hear you saying is like, it feels like the noise before the defeat, like you sitting in that space, because you do have sort of the talent and the perspective. We're like, we're doing a lot of things and it's not going to work because it's not in service of a North star. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yeah. So, so now you help other nonprofits hopefully avoid having to have that aha moment, but right. (laughs) Sort of build from, from the the ground up. Um, And I know, you know, as I've talked about, I struggled and I think a lot of small organizations struggle with this. Um, Where do you see organizations getting stuck the most? What are some of the biggest challenges that you see? Mm, Another question I love because I think it's so true. It's so easy to get stuck in pushing out content, even what we feel like is mission-driven, inspiring donor-centric content um, that results in little to no engagement and funding. Yeah. And Um, then you're like, I'm not doing it enough. It's donors. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say there are a few that definitely come to mind that I've seen be really consistent over the years. Um, the first one is the, we've always done it this way mentality. (laughs) So these are, these are usually teams that are stretched too thin or led by an ED or board chair who've been around for a long time and are sort of stuck in their ways. So my question is if you've always done it that way, and it got lackluster results. Why are we expecting Different high different. yields of engagement and funding? That's like just so silly to me that we would expect something more of the same thing over yeah. and over again, right? Um, it just doesn't make sense. You can't keep doing it. Um, and you've got to try new strategies, create team bandwidth, invest in high quality content yeah. each and every year, not a one and done. Yeah. Um, and practically, if this is you, you're listening, you're like, oh man, you're describing my, my situation right yeah. now. But we've always done it this way. Um, you may need to hire some support. Um, so that might be trainings, mm-hmm. getting additional interns if you can't afford right now to hire full-time employees or part-time employees that may mean bring out a consultant to do some strategic work. But at some point leadership has to take ownership of acknowledging that they fall in this category. And that can be really hard because it takes a lot of humility because in many ways they've been around for a long time and are very passionate about the way that they've done it. It's their baby. They, they started it. Right. But I think you're right. I mean, look at the results. If you're not getting the results you want and whether we're talking about marketing, fundraising, program impact, you know, organizational leaders are used to saying, let me assess and adjust what isn't working. And the same, it sounds like you're saying has to apply to marketing, has to apply to how we put ourselves out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. They're like, we always send a year end letter this way, formatted this way. Why did it not raise 10,000 more? Like we budgeted. (laughs) Well, what did you do? Exactly. Why would it, why would it bring in 10,000 more this year? Right. Um, yeah, but it can, yeah, it happens. It happens a lot. And those are, I would say most of my clients come to me with this problem, but another one I see is falling into the trap that there's the assumption that your supporters or followers are everyone. Right. So it's like a lack of, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Lack of understanding that like, yes, nonprofits address often like problems that affect huge populations, but that doesn't mean that everyone is your ideal supporter group that you should be speaking to with marketing. And most organizations don't have, um, 
necessarily like a narrow enough focus initially when I meet them who are kind of stuck in this space, they, and unfortunately like waste a lot of time and money just kind of running the wheel of like similar to we've always done it this way. Like we're just cranking it out, right? We got the newsletter going out every month. We're keep on posting social media and we keep on wondering why is no one liking or commenting on things or clicking donate now in the newsletter. Cause it might be a little boring to yeah. people who are seeing it because they don't feel like you're really speaking to them. They just think you're speaking to the general public, which doesn't resonate or feel personal and um, it's easy to fall into that trap. I love that you were saying this. I just, I want to stay here for one moment because yeah. I think that this is particularly for early stage nonprofits, one of the biggest challenges with fundraising, right? They throw events, they have campaigns, they do all the things, they write all the letters and they cannot figure out why they're not getting traction. And I think the fear right? That if we niche down, if we focus too narrowly on our donors, our people, the people that are Mm -hmm. most excited, we're leaving money on the table, right? Do you, do you feel like it's rooted in that fear or do you think it comes from other places also? Because it's huge. Like I cannot figure out sometimes how to help some of my clients understand Mm-hmm. You by niching down and speaking directly to like your ideal donor, the people yes. when they see your mission are like, oh my goodness, you and I are the same people. Yeah. It's okay that you're not talking to like, you know, if you work with plants and trees and forests, you're not talking to the animal people. That's okay. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. How do you get them to like, how do you help the folks you work with get through that fear? Because I get it. It's a deep rooted fear. For sure. If you're like low resourced. Right. Oh, I totally agree, Brooke. And I have a lot of clients that come to me thinking the same thing, um, who have literally said to me word for word, right? Like, well, everyone should be interested in our cause. Everyone should be supporting this. It's just so good. Our mission, right? It's so world changing. And it is like, I don't deny that, but, um, even like, for example, myself, I use myself as an example all the time with clients. Like I am multi-passionate. I'm so excited about so many different types of causes and missions um, from environmentalism to education to, um, oh my gosh, all like social services. I'm a mental health counselor. And so like just so many different issues that I care about. And yet um, still there are like only a handful that I'm like passionately over the years continuing to support because I'm limited. I can only like support so many. And so it's really important to keep that in mind, right? That they're, everyone else is just like me. They're only like, yes, they might be excited about what you're doing, but they, they are also limited and they have certain passions and values yeah. and reasons why they're going to give to a new organization. And right. it's not for everyone. And that's not personal. It's nothing to do with your nonprofit or your mission. It's just, there are, a, there are certain segments that, um, yeah, your message is going to resonate the most deeply with, and you're going to be able to run the longest with them. And that in the long run, you want that sustainability over a thousand new one-off, never come back, don't really get it kind of donors. That's right. It's the sustainability. You're exactly right. Right. When you're talking about building a fundraising engine 
and bringing in, and not just fundraising, but when you're talking about why content is important and why connecting with your supporters is important, because the thing about marketing that I love about what we're talking about is absolutely people see how that relates to fundraising, but it's also about building strategic partnerships and thought leadership and board members and a network of people who are sort of in it with you, the marketing pieces for all of them. And you want the people who are just the most avid, we just love your mission. We are in the yeah. trenches with you people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's one more kind of going off of that, that I see a lot of nonprofits fall into um, is it's this mentality that our supporters or whoever's even just like uh, subscribers, followers, they may not necessarily be giving financially that they should fit into our world because we're the one with the really important mission, right? Instead of fitted, fitting your nonprofit's message to your supporters world. And so what I mean by that is um, practically like posts and newsletters are typically filled with tons of programming jargon that a nonprofit thinks they should totally know what this program's called. We've said it a thousand times. They don't, right? Even if they've seen it a million times, they probably don't. Um, Or like the voice tone and placement doesn't really resonate with your ideal supporters at all. Um, And so another practical thing is like, usually if you're like, I don't know if this is me, you'll know it's you if you don't have any donor personas or segments built into your marketing, then you know, then this is you. Because if you've never narrowed down, like you were saying, your niche, your ideal supporter groups, if you don't have two or three of those, you can't name them and describe them and who they are, typical characteristics of them, what they value, where they communicate, where they prefer to communicate with you, how often, um, then this would be a really great place for you to start. Um, And ultimately it comes down to humanizing with your supporters and having a mentality of generosity that you're giving to them instead of always asking. So with every piece of content, I think it's just so easy to fall into that pitfall. It's so easy. It's especially for founders. I mean, you have to have a little bit of like overconfidence when you're a founder, you Mm -hmm. have, because there's so many people saying, no, I don't see your vision. I don't get it. I remember in those early years, I had to sort of sit in a room and be like, no, but what I'm what I'm envisioning and the sort of the change that I'm trying to bring about is good. And you have to sit both in that space of confidence and in the space of humility, of listening, of connecting and saying, but what's your why? Like, why are you in this conversation right now? And how can I be of service to you and responsive to you? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, So good. So let's talk for a moment about types of content, right? So you mapped out three really, really clear, and I think dead on accurate buckets, right? That folks may fall into. And so now they're like, okay, I've located myself. I am the, you know, I am talking to me, not necessarily to my donor personas. What is the content that folks should be developing? Because I think when people hear the word content, they think, but I have a newsletter. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So, or, you know, I have a video that we put out every year at our gala, like we're doing content, but I'm hearing from you that like, when I hear you say content, there's like nuance there, there are different Mm -hmm. things. So if I'm ready, if I'm like, 
yes, I, I found my bucket. Now what? What do we mean when we say content? Yeah, that's a great question. And it really depends on who you're talking to. <laughs> right. So it's so, a good segue from that last bucket. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Um, depends on how far along you are. And it really, really is such an opinionated answer. It really depends on who you ask. But for most of my clients, if they're like, yeah, I'm just starting, I don't really know. Then I'm like, okay, great. Let's break it down into two really basic buckets. Let's think print and digital. Because a lot of nonprofits are still doing a lot of print content. Mm-hmm. And so let's just pull those apart. What, and let's map them out. Let's list out all the things that you you've done or tried mm-hmm. and want to try. And then those are tactics. Those are marketing tactics within, you know, that bucket, that type of content. And then there's digital. So some of the things I think about there are social media, mm-hmm. your emails, um, even your text messages. If you're using texting to communicate with donors, that's part of digital content blogs. If you have one, um, any video content. So if you have, um, any videos that go on your website or on your YouTube channel or different social channels, um, there's a lot that goes into digital, but those are some of, or if you do like any sort of teaching. So, that's often one that a lot of clients are surprised. They're like, oh, I never considered that content marketing. I'm like, yes, like a webinar, that's content marketing, a podcast, a conference that you're working around. Because that's all content that you can recycle and repurpose in social and in your newsletter and in your email. Those are pieces of content. So if you're just starting at like, I don't know where to begin, just think of it that way. Like, what are we doing that's physical, print Mm-hmm. content marketing and then digital. Yeah. And then underneath that, the next steps would be, okay, well, what are our big goals? What do we want to achieve? And then what tactics make sense for those goals? For those goals. So I meet a lot of people who are like, they do down up, right? Here's all the things we do. You mentioned this earlier, right? Here yeah. are the, I got a newsletter. I got social media, Yeah. but um, I try to work the opposite way with clients. Like let's start with the strategy and then the goal. And then the tactic and see what makes sense for you. Because I promise you all the things I just listed are not all the things you should be doing. So why do you think that's tricky for folks? Like everything you're saying totally resonates with me. And I can even put myself back in the shoes of sort of baby ED me. (laughs) I felt like, you know, similarly with like, I want to put up the billboard and advertise to everybody. I feel like I have to be on Twitter and Instagram and Pinterest. And there was no TikTok at the time, but I'm sure I would have felt like I needed to be there. (laughs) Right. You know, um, what, what makes content strategy tricky for folks? Yeah, I think it's closely tied to pitfalls, but at um, a higher level, a couple of things come to mind. It's that lack of strategy that we talked about, um, which should not just be like a thing that's in our head, right? Like here's the direction I think we're heading this year. I mean, like an actual written down strategy that we've gone over with the board organizationally. And typically I find even with grassroots um, startup nonprofits, they they are doing this for their programming. That kind of, That's native, right? Like they're so, they know their program in and out and they've every year they have the strategy and goals that they're working on. Yeah. 
Yeah. And if you're not there yet, then that's a great place to start. But I usually find that folks don't have anything like that that's connected with marketing. Um, and then content usually gets lost. It's viewed as that, like, we have to, it's a necessary evil, like, oh, the newsletter, <laughs> got to do it. Yeah, they don't uh, see it as central to achieving their program goals, which right. you said at the top of the, of the conversation. Yeah. 100%. Um, rather than, right, like, supports a greater initiative. Um and then another thing at a higher level, I think a challenge is a lack of good data. So mm-hmm. I don't meet many small nonprofits who are really tracking their data well enough to make it useful to tweak and use year after year for things to be more effective. So some examples of data for marketing would be social media analytics, email analytics, website analytics. And the main reason I think that's true is, again, bandwidth, going back to lack of time, and then two, a lack of resource to invest in further training and marketing analytics, which is often needed. And that's not to shame anyone. It's just to say like, okay, marketing, like everything else that's digital is like rapidly changing every year, right? I think back to when, oh man, when I think back to when I started marketing for nonprofits, this is a totally different world. Everything I learned then is like, totally irrelevant to today. Yes. <laughs> That's right. you know, totally different yeah. landscape. And so I think what I wish I saw more of, or even for small nonprofits that further training in marketing analytics would be like normalized, that that would be an annual thing. And it's not because you should know better or you're behind. That should just be normal because marketing analytics are changing rapidly every yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I I have this conversation or similar conversation with a lot of the folks that I work with around financial health, right? Totally sort of different bucket, but, you know, a lot of nonprofits are started and run by deeply mission-driven people who didn't get into this to like build an institution, right? To do budgeting and financial reports and tracking or marketing. And so, of course they have a program plan every year because that's that is the actualization of their vision yes. and that resonates with them and i think similarly when i talk with folks about the importance of financial health and taking time every week to look at your financials and how that can't be an afterthought because that is the infrastructure that will support the growth of your programs like it's a necessary part of your program growth it sounds like similarly, people have to start to understand marketing, not as an afterthought, not as a nice to have, mm-hmm. but as absolutely central to the growth and impact of their programs. I don't, I am not a fear monger. <laughs> and I think, you know, this is one of the reasons I, I've loved all of the conversations we've had is I just, I love your energy and everything's like very positive and rooted in abundance and it's great. So I'm going to ask for like a little switch <laughs> for a moment yeah, and talk about the consequence, right? So I love talking about like the positive benefit, but I'd love to just sort of nail from your perspective, having worked with so many nonprofits over the last more than a decade, what what goes wrong if they don't get this? It's a great question. Well, a lot of things go awry. Um, yeah, I think one of the things is losing supporters, losing yeah. funding. Um, I think it impacts even specifically grants, right? Because a lot of times they want to see additional um, content to support that. And really your grant is a piece of content. So lack of funding from 
foundations, from board members, and really, I think, like, if you want to attract, like, somebody who's going to help produce high-level content marketing for your organization, it's going to be hard to attract them if you've never valued marketing, because they're not necessarily going to know it's, like, a safe place for them to grow and thrive and experiment and have creative freedom. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think those are some of the basic consequences, but I think it's really felt most by donors who are just not ex- as excited as they could be or clued in on what's going on in your organization and the vision for that and why it matters keeping their momentum going. Cause at some point, just, just like um, founders or directors or leaders who've been working in your organization for a really long time, at some point, um, like, I think you, inevitably hit a wall we were like how do I communicate this in a way that is inspiring and like yeah. even just writing content can be draining yeah. you're like I you if you don't feel inspired writing it trust me they don't feel inspired reading it the energy that you're projecting yeah <laughs> right. right and a consequence of that mm-hmm. is you see a lack of engagement because they're not inspired they're kind of bored because yeah. you were bored when you wrote it And when you were working on it, you know what I mean? So I think it's just a loss of steam all around internal and external when content's not being prioritized. Do you think that small nonprofits, and this is sort of to start to bring us sort of full circle, um, do you think small nonprofits have to hire a marketing person? How how could an institution go from like, we really haven't prioritized this and we get it. And we're sort of maxed out on, you know, full-time staff capacity. What are small changes or shifts that organizations can make to begin to center and prioritize marketing in a way that could have some kind of impact? I mean, yeah. interns, like, are there other things yes. that you do internally? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. Interns for sure um, are, is a great. Yeah, yeah, we love our interns. Yes, yes, for the interns because it's a great experience for them, yeah. and um, hopefully it can be a sustainable model for your organization. It's not just a one and done, but you could do it um, every semester, right? And have students join you. Um, I also think that look at your board connections and ask them, right? Do they have consultants that would be willing to? Um, come in and donate like an afternoon with you to help you think through sustainable solutions beyond interns Um, or you know specifically the time I'm thinking like right now we're talking like new fiscal year right like bringing that into the annual conversation of like why don't we have a budget for this yeah no budget at all could we use that how could we use that to invest is it a consultant is it a talented freelancer Um, but eventually you have to move beyond the, we have someone who volunteers to do this or intern. Um, it's a good band-aid solution, but it's not a good long-term strategy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's similar to talking with folks who are going, um, from say a startup nonprofit where most of the people are volunteers and consultants are doing amazing work and a really scary conversation for folks is that initial shift to staff right? The, now I have people on payroll and my burn rate is going up and I have to actually invest in this infrastructure. And I just, I love what you're saying about 
what sounds almost like a mindset shift, right? That mm -hmm. if we really understand that this isn't a Band-Aid, that this isn't a nice to have, we have to invest in it, right? And in the same way that our budget, which is a storytelling tool, has to reflect what it costs to achieve our vision, this is part of what it costs. I think that's what I hear you. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And there's one more that I didn't mention that might be helpful for people if you're not quite ready to make that jump mm -hmm. yet. If you're still like, it's just not going to happen this year. It yeah. is what it is. We have volunteers and <laughs> interns, yeah. right? And we're good. <laughs> yeah. If that's you, then another thing to think about would be who are you partnering with? Um, right. So at your next event, like consider that with your sponsors or look and look at their website and their social media pages. Do they have high quality content? Um, okay. Well, that's great. Then maybe they might be willing to, as they sponsor your event, help you create better content around your next fundraising event that you can then republish and share. Um, and that's everything from event sponsorships to, you know, your foundational partners, any type of partner that you have, your corporate partners, et cetera, that's something to consider. Are they producing good content and could we, how could we benefit from that and recycle it? That is a great idea. I mean, especially thinking about foundations, you know, that, that organizations work with, they invest in marketing because they want to showcase their grantees, right? They yeah. want to showcase um, the folks that they're investing in. Can you reach out and say, hey, we would love to share on our social media platforms the, you know, the probably higher quality video and photos that you guys have. That's great. Yeah. So along those lines, do you have any sort of final advice, right? So I'm a early stage, small, under a million dollars nonprofit, or maybe not even early stage, just under a million dollars, small nonprofit. And I have had my aha moment. I'm like, yes, I want to connect with my people and I want to do it in a way where I'm telling stories that make them want to raise their hand and say, yes, I'm going to donate what would be your advice to me in terms of thinking about content strategy, not content tactics, but the strategy part of it? Yeah. Well, I would say congrats. That's a really exciting place to be. Um, <laughs> let the adventure begin, you know, and if you're leaving this podcast thinking that, um, have someone hold you accountable, go tell them, Hey, I just had this moment. Don't just keep it to yourself and let it fade away. Tell, tell your board chair or tell your closest confidant at your nonprofit. Hey, I want to do something with this. Hold me accountable. Mm -hmm. um, we need to have a team meeting or we need to bring this up at the next board meeting. All I'm understanding right now is we need to involve a annual marketing strategy into annual marketing goals, into tactics. And we've been working bottom up for so long and I'm so ready to be done with that <laughs> and just start the conversation and explain that funnel to them and then say, okay, how could we take an afternoon together um, this quarter and pull back and look at our annual goals and see how we could create better goals. And then practically, as you start working on content, just some tips, if is if you're going to be the one that's going to end up writing or changing things around and um, the case for folks. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> think about, um, think about brands that delight you. For me, that's like, who are some come to mind? Headspace, Grammarly, Charity Water. Uh, I could go on. Yeah. Um, but I can't think of a single piece of content where I didn't smile or genuinely take something away that was actually useful for me. And over the years, not only did I become an active fan, but I became an advocate and an evangelist without them having to ask. 
And that's our goal, right? That our supporters would eventually become our advocates. And um, so with every piece of content and strategy, just ask yourself some of these basic questions. Is this going to foster trust? Does it demonstrate impact? Is it deepening the relationship? Will this, will this post delight them? Is this strategy giving our supporters something? What are we depositing to them with this? Um, I think it's really easy as fundraisers and marketers to get really caught up in what I call the gimme mindset um, with content. And we've got to stay away from that even when we're making asks, because the truth is in the long run, nonprofits don't need transactions. They need relationships to sustain their missions. Yeah. I, I just loved this conversation. (laughs) And everything (laughs) you said, it's like, occasionally you have those conversations with what the person's saying. You're like, but that's in my brain. How did you know? (laughs) Yes, I love that. And I think that's exactly the right um, place to sort of wrap up that ultimately organizations thrive when they build relationships. And that's what you're talking about. The content is one of the vehicles for building that relationship. And I just, I think if people can hold that sort of front of mind, um, that can guide them towards a more robust and effective content strategy uh, with their organization. So this has been super helpful. If folks wanna learn more about what you do, what's the website they should go to? I would love to share that and I'll, and I'll include it in the show notes also. Yeah, thank you, Brooke. Speaking of being delighted, this conversation has been a delight. Um, <laughs> if people wanna connect, we can just go to harmonyconsulting.co. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Rachel. It was great talking to you. You too. Thanks, Brooke. Thank you so much for joining me this week on the Nonprofit Mastermind podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends. I also want to share that if you are a nonprofit founder or a leader in the first two years of building your organization, I would love for you to apply to join me in the Nonprofit Launch Lab. It's a six-month high-touch incubator program for nonprofit startups. The deadline is July 9th, and you can apply at richiebabbage.com backslash nonprofit launch lab. If you are a nonprofit leader with six figures and you'd like to get to your first million, I would love for you to join me in my nonprofit impact accelerator. Also six months, it's an accelerator program that gives you all of the tools, coaching, training, and support you need to build the fundraising staff, board, and thought leadership to get to that first million dollars. You can apply at richiebabbage.com backslash nonprofit accelerator. That's all for now. Have a great week and I'll see you back here next week for more Mastermind.